good. Here's what they say. When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza. Just wait. It'll get there. It'll get there. Here we go. Come on, get there. It came down to your Jets. I could have had like a, a perfect week. I mean, depending on whether or not the, the Broncos win. But what about that? An overtime win. Huh? Week one. It's a win. I'll give you that. It is a win. And I'll say it did. No, it did. And we shouldn't have had to be in overtime. I will 110% admit that. Our coach still sucks. And he's not even – that's the only bad part about it is he's not good looking enough. At least when I make fun of the Cardinals coach, I can call him a mimbo because Cliff Cliff Kingsbury is like the NFL coach, so it totally – do hair and makeup before a game. Yeah. Uh, Zach, Zach Taylor almost cost us that cost us that game. It is 110% on the roster that they were even able close to win that game, but I'll take it. I'm going to take it for now because I know that it's not going to be every single week, but Hey, and you guys, I'll, I know that you, you feel bad right now. It was at least we you guys were close. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. You we guys were close. Bad, but, I mean, it, we didn't look bad, but it was against the Panthers. So Oh, it's not going to get kinda, easier. It's not going to get easier. No, it's kind of a it's kind of a wash because the Panthers are at the point where they should be like it should have been it should have been that the Jets won close like the Bengals did, but they didn't. Instead they lost close and they played well, but it's like uh we played well but we lost, you know. Anyway, oh, you you weren't able to watch and I was obviously paying attention. It was 1914. Uh by the way, this is the Dago Express podcast with Jimmy and Nick Pilato. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to us before, be sure to follow us at Dago Express. Dom, what does the picture look like on our social media? It is a bright yellow picture with red lettering. You can't miss it. The two brightest colors that you could possibly use, we used them. You can't miss it. Uh, and it's not our prom photo anymore. I can't remember what photo it is, but it's not it's, our prom uh, photo. I think it might be the four, uh, four siblings when we were getting pictures taken as a family this past time. Yeah, that sounds... Probably about right. I finally have access to that Twitter. So you'll start seeing some more posts. Uh, normally it's just me sending Dom what he should post, but you guys will start seeing more posts from me. But yeah, this is the Dago Express podcast with Jimmy and Nick Pilato. We are every other Tuesday on any podcasting platform that you find. And then you can obviously follow us at Dago Express on both of our social medias. We're talking about the first week of the NFL season because Dom is a, or Nick is a Jets fan. Damn it. I was so close. So close. I was right, right there. Uh, Nick is a Jets fan, and the Jets obviously lost week one, 1914 to the Panthers. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it, it really came down to the rushing, which is kind of what Nico and I said it was going to. But, hey, yeah. is your defense anywhere near good enough to stop Christian McCaffrey from rushing all over you? No. I, so. Honestly, I don't really know that if it matters. Christian McCaffrey is just a different breed. You could do everything right, and he'd still find a way to get four or five yards out of it. So Sam Darnold also wanted to win this game more than anything. He wanted to prove that the Jets ruined him, and the Jets did ruin him. 
you know what? He brought it. He played really well. If he would have played that well in the last three years that he's been in a Jets uniform, I wouldn't have shit on him so bad. But it was his fault. It was the coach's. It was the coach's fault. And you know what? They were good at making it look like it was his fault. I will admit he's a better quarterback than I realized, but he he proved it today. That's all I can say. He proved it today. But yeah, let's talk about Zach Wilson, though. Hold on. Well, a couple he, of those highlights that I saw, him rolling out of the pocket, extending the play, hitting the receiver uh, downfield for a touchdown. Hey, I need he you to get used well. to setting up on the run, think fast, move even faster, and you'll live a lot longer. That's what Zach Wilson did. But uh, it was – I knew he wasn't going to look as good as he did in the preseason because defenses don't show how they're actually going to play in the preseason. Um, so – he's now been actually schemed by a, def- a defense and didn't look great. He was 20 of 37, 258, two touchdowns and interception. He got him close. He, he showed up. He's in the not the reason half. they lost. He's not, no, the he's, he's not the reason they lost. It was their defense and it's going to continue to be their defense. I like, I really like Robert Sala. He's going to get them as close as he can to winning a game, but no, this is, that's, that's me, by the way. I just realized that was me. Um, I didn't realize that was my sound playing through through the the cast. Chris McCaffrey had 89 receiving yards, 98 rushing yards. So he didn't even break 100 though. That's what they were talking about. They were like, he uh, almost broke 200 total. He, 200 total, but he didn't break 100 separately, which everybody was talking. I mean, he came off of a knee injury last year, so great no game. For him. No touchdowns, but great game for him. Anyways, coming off of as big of an injury as that was. But everybody was still surprised considering the fact that he, like, he's a fantasy point guy. If you have him on your team, you have a chance to win every week. But considering the fact that he didn't have any touchdowns and he didn't break 100 rushing yards, everybody thought that it was an off week for him. I'm like, he still beat the hell out of everybody. So I don't really know if it matters. No, I think the biggest thing, the defense needs help. C.J. Mosley didn't look great. He's your, the middle linebacker. And then you also have Leonard Williams and Quinton Williams. The Williams brothers is what I'm going to call them under D line, but defense didn't look good and the rushing was not there. Your um, your highest rusher had 24 yards on the day. The team had 45 total. And our 11th overall pick from two years ago is injury prone and is now Carted off the field. <laughs> they had to bring out the big cart too, like Makai Beckton. You're not getting him off with regular. You're not getting him well, off with yeah. just the board. They got to get the double wide. You got to start the diesel engine. Go grab the piano dolly. Yeah, go grab the piano dolly and the crane, and we might be able to get them up off the field. And then who knows how we're going to get them out of here. That is a big dude. And, oh, man, it sucks. I mean, it sucks when anybody gets injured, but it sucks that he got injured. He, I mean, looking at it from where I'm at, I'm mad right now. So I say our 11th overall pick is injury prone. But, I mean, I feel bad because he's been injured the last two years. Just small things last year, and now potentially a bad one. So I don't, you know, we'll see, I guess. But he, uh, it didn't look good. Him's not going to help. No, losing him's not going to help either. And I won that game in our pick'em. You lost that game. Uh, the other game that we should talk about briefly because I'm wearing my jersey too. Boomers all fired up from the the Bengals win um, as well, but they did. They won. We won. Finally, we did it. We did it. We didn't look absolutely outclassed in the NFL. It was it was not great because they were up 21 in the third quarter and ended up having to go into overtime, 127-24. Uh, 
but we won. That's all I'm going to say. We're, we're winning in spite of our terrible head coach. The, the way that we did it last year and the way that the Jets didn't last year in spite of their terrible head coach, we are finally – we finally have a roster that we can win games that we shouldn't win. We shouldn't have won that game. The Vikings did everything they should have down the stretch. Kirk Cousins threw for 350 yards, two touchdowns. He's not the reason they lost. No. It was – it was uh, the Bengals' defense, I think, played a lot better than people were giving them credit for. They spent $100 million on their defense, so – Thank God they played better. Otherwise, we would have just wasted all that money. But the Vikings the Vikings aren't as bad as I said they were going to be. I think that the Lions are probably going to finish fourth in that division now. I'm man enough to admit that I was probably wrong from a couple weeks ago. Um, but the they won. That's all I'm going to care about. They want to know. And this is a lucky combination. The Bengals shirt, and then I know everybody loves – the Steelers ended up winning today, which sucks. But I got the, the shirt, Roxy Yacht got me that says uh, just say no with the Steelers logo inside the, the no. Um, but yeah, other than the NFL season, what's been going on? Cause it's been two weeks since we got together. I know that you're back down at school. So you're, you're obviously still going through classes and everything like that, but what else, what else has been new? What's, what's been going on the last couple of weeks since we've recorded? Uh, new stuff, not necessarily anything new. Uh, still trying to get used to some of the, setups of my classes and stuff like that and uh right now um so did you know that they have abstract algebra like it's an actual course uh the last Uh, math class that i remember taking we discussed infinity for six weeks or however long a semester is so no i did not know that abstract algebra was a thing well i knew it was a thing and everybody told me it was going to be difficult and uh i was like nah I got it. Don't worry. You know, no big deal. Um, yeah, it's a little harder than I thought. And uh, well, that's kind of... Define you know, abstract algebra for the people who don't know what it is. Well, so, I mean, you take it, obviously, if you're a math major, but it's supposed to, for teachers at least, you're supposed to be in this class and you're supposed to be able to explain the underlying mathematics of algebra well enough that you could teach it to students. If you're you're, you're learning how to teach algebra to somebody like me, who would much rather be in arts class instead of of math class. Yes. I mean, so you're, so there's like four separate things for the math true framework, which is what we use as teachers. And it's um, uh, memorization procedures without connections, procedures with connections and doing mathematics. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get those kids that are like you, where you would rather be writing something or doing art or whatever. We're trying to be getting those kids like you to at least be doing like understanding the procedure and having the connection with it. If not doing the mathematics, that's like level four. So we're trying to be able to explain it well enough that we could go from you just memorizing it and doing whatever the procedure is or using the equation so that you can actually know what the equation means and actually be thinking about it outside of, you know, just plugging numbers into the equation. That's the only way that I ever got through algebra two in high school. It's the only way I got through physics in high school was just memorizing where the, where the numbers went in the equation. I don't actually, I don't necessarily understand the mathematics of algebra, algebra, but when I passed it, I will tell you that I understood where I needed to plug numbers in. That was the only, only thing that saved me. And 90% of the time, that's – in a lot of different math classrooms, that's all you're going to need to do. But 
the idea would be is if you can do the mathematics and make the connections, it'll be easier for you to set up equations on your own and be able to use, like figure out what numbers you need to use on your own. So, so you're trying to teach me how I'm going to teach a math class. Yeah. Yep. Why exactly? Why would I need to do, why would I need to know that? You never why? know. If you're going to be a high school coach, I mean, you might have to sub in for a math class once in a while. Um, I don't know. I think that might be the deal breaker in that job description. Right, we're going to need you to teach Rocky today. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, we're going to watch Rocky one through six. And if I have to, if I have to substitute after that, <laughs> I guess we're watching Creed now. Um, and then after we finish Creed, who's seen the Sopranos? Anybody? Anybody? I don't think you well, can we're going to watch the Sopranos. I don't think you can show that in schools. I feel like you might get fired. I need, I would need to be subbing for like the calculus class. And then, you know, there's going to be those 13-year-old prodigies in that class. And we're going to be like, okay, uh, until your teacher gets back, we're going to be watching movies. I know that you understand everything that's going on. I don't. And you know what? Go, you go ahead and teach. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to be watching The Sopranos while uh, uh, this kid is going to be teaching you guys math. And then once, if your teacher doesn't come back, I don't know what we're doing. We're, we might turn this into an essay class. I don't know. Has, has anybody discussed infinity? Does anybody no. understand the concept of infinity? You know, I, I didn't think so. You would have really liked my uh, modern geometry class because no, it was no. I didn't almost. Was, I almost didn't pass geometry. Geometry, Jimmy. You could have done so well in this class because it was all essay based. Yeah. Uh, so that's how even I if you my last math class, even if you, cause most of it was group work anyways. So if they would have figured out the math concepts and told you what you had to have in there, you would have been able to put together a good enough essay that at the very least it would have been a B at the yeah. very least. That's and I, you just explained exactly how I got through my last math class. And I being the person that I am, I'm a decent enough writer, but I know the mathematics. So when I try to like, I'm not a good enough writer to try to explain perfectly the first time, which is good because we had revisions, but I was sitting there and I was like, well, this makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to them. And then I come back and it'd be like, Oh, well, this isn't the perfectly defined straight line. I'm like, you know what a straight line is. A straight line is a straight line. Um, Yeah, no. uh, That seems like it'd be tough for you. And abstract algebra it seems like it's going to be just as tough for you and i i'm not volunteering myself to be taught your lessons uh unfortunately i don't need to understand the mathematics i understand algebra enough that i can still say that i passed algebra but i'm not going to be learning the mathematics behind algebra i don't i'm never going to need to set up my own equations well i don't blame you and the problem is math is such a straightforward concept like it's such a straightforward subject that when you try to make it abstract or like essay based it just seems like it makes it a lot harder a lot more a lot more difficult than it really needs to be but you're just trying to encapsulate all the kids that don't understand that's that's what you're trying to do yeah kind of i mean that's kind of where we're at but you're going to end up with all the when you're in because you're going to be teaching math anyway so when you're the coach of some high school after you teach calculus the entire day you're going to have like a class with all your off your football players. You're like, listen, X equals a number. I don't know how else to explain it to you. Write out how X is a number, please. Just please. I've, uh, 
I'd be able to explain it to them because that's how I figured out math. I put it in football terms, so I'd be able to give them that. Defensive like player X equals number. Pound sign. Hashtag. <laughs> you guys are on Twitter enough. I know. Hashtag. That's yeah, all you got to know. It's not a pound sign. You don't X know the is a hashtag. Sign. And hashtag equals number. Hashtag, then you're going to – all your board is going to be is like Mr. Pilato, math teacher, Calc 1, Calc 2, math for football players. <laughs> this is your schedule underneath. And then it's going to be in a big, big block letters, X equals – does everybody know what this sign means? It's not prison bars. It's an equal sign. Oh, okay. <laughs> X, defensive player. Defensive player equals number. Do you guys get it? Do you get it? I, More or I, less. I wish I could. I, I wish I was smart enough to become a principal just so I could be the principal, uh, your administrator, and have to sit in in one of your math classes, especially your math for football players class that I know is just going to be. Not, not everybody is like you, where you like football and then you also like math. Um, I'll, I'll say the only thing new for me, work has slowed down quite a bit. I have the new podcast, Top of the Mountain, with RMAC football every week, 30 minutes each week to go along with uh, uh, Far End of the Bench at FEOTV Pod. I'm still going to just put out there, if you want to follow Top of the Mountain, it's only a seasonal podcast during football season. So if you want to follow that, follow at Dago Express or at FEOTV Pod. That's where I'm posting everything for Top of the Mountain. Uh, but be sure to follow Top of the Mountain Podcast on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, speaking of which, do you think Swift Lifestyles with their concentration stuff, do you think that would help in, in your math class? If I took a, a big w- one serving of the Swift Lifestyles concentration powder that they have, do you think that I'd be able to at least get a C in your math class, C plus, because I know math people like to say that C minus is, is failing, but. Well, I mean, I think it would help out a little bit, but I mean, being able to pay attention for longer would definitely, obviously it helps out with most things that you do anyways, but uh, being able to pay attention um, is important, but having a teacher that actually is able to like explain to you, well enough that you understand that's going to be the reason why you do better in the class. So, yeah, I mean, the nootropic stuff would probably get you at least to that C or C plus C minus, sorry, range. Um, but everything beyond that's going to depend on how well the teacher can uh, explain stuff to you. There you go. Do your part and you go to swiftlifestyles.com. Use our promo code express mafia, capital E capital M and get your nootropic so that you can pay attention and then it's down to your teacher. So at least do what you can. We talk about in football all the time. I know you heard this plenty. Control what you can control. Well, you can control going to swiftlifestyles.com, getting their nootropics and focusing longer using our promo code Express Mafia. You get 15% off at checkout. So you might as well control what you can control. That's all you got to do. That's all you can do. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to get into our Sons of Anarchy discussion. I, I'm sure people are enjoying this. Hopefully, they're watching along with us. We gave you plenty of time to try and catch up to where we're at. We're only discussing season seven or episode seven through nine of season two today of Sons of Anarchy. So you still have plenty of time to get through up to where we are at. But uh, we're we're at we finished last week or last episode, which was two weeks ago, with season two, episode six, Fault Celebrity or Cerebri, um, and now 
We're starting off this episode with season two, episode seven. This episode title is Galid, which uh, is uh, Irish slang for head, if you can believe. Uh, that is what the episode title is directly translated to. But in episode six, where we open, Chibs is in, ho- in the hospital, critical condition. He's got bleeding in his brain. So Tara, uh, Jax's girlfriend slash the club doctor, is watching over Chibs as he's in the hospital. Unser and Juice are at the um, auto body shop because if you remember, episode six ended with the big explosion of that minivan at the auto body shop. So there's federal investigators down there along with Unser and Juice, and they're the ones trying to make sure that the feds don't pick anything up that they can continue on with an investigation, um, which they're not able to do. They try. I don't know if you remember this, but this is when Unser goes and takes a piss in the cup and he's like, all these cancer medications make my urine like acid. So if we just dump this somewhere, they're not going to be able to pick anything up. He pisses in the cup and then dumps it on one of the police officers. But so far, uh, everything is still not going the Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club's way. And the League of American Nationalists are absolutely dictating everything that's happened so far in season two. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, the League of American Nationalists are the people who are willing to go that extra step, and that's why they've been able to control everything so far in this season. Um, you know, it it's weird to think about because it seems like the Sons of Anarchy were always untouchable and, like, nobody could kind of beat them down, but the League of American Nationalists have, has done a really good job doing that so far. So it's interesting – uh, going forward, how that's going to all end up paying out, playing out. Also, from the end of the last episode, uh, we had a good portion of the MC get arrested. So, Jax, Clay, Bobby, Tig, Juice, and Happy are all in county prison waiting, awaiting senten- sentencing for them storming that League of American Nationalist rally. Um, and they have to, right now, they're trying to play the prison game. I I recently, it's a, a great movie. If you haven't seen it, it's called Shot Collar. I don't think that you've watched it, but that has a good amount of information regarding pr- prison politics. But also, if you're a big fan of Gangland, I would recommend watching, if you're going to watch Sons of Anarchy, especially season two, watch the Gangland on the Aryan Brotherhood because they go over prison politics. But what we see here is the club goes to the leader of the black gorilla family, which is Leroy Wayne's cousin, their friend on the outside, they go to Russell, who's the leader of the black gorilla family. And uh, they try and work out some sort of a deal because they know that the league of American nationalists, they obviously have uh, people from the Aryan brotherhood that they can send after the MC in prison, as well as their own people. We saw them already blind auto after uh, sons of anarchy told, um, uh, Zobel and Weston that they weren't going to stop selling guns to the black and Mexican gangs. They know that they have guys on the inside of, in the prison. So they go to Leroy's cousin, Russell say, we need some protection while we're in here. Cause we're expecting to get released on bond soon. And Russell says, well, we'll offer you protection under the black gorilla family, but you got to take care of these two snitches. One's on the inside. One's on the outside. Um, the one on the inside, we see the MC come up with the concoction. It turns out that the snitch on the inside has been inside long enough that whether it's a man or a woman in a sexual situation, he is all for it. Um, So the Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club understand this. They get this information and their idea is to then turn juice into what they affectionately refer to as jail bait. 
Yeah. Jailbait. Yeah. Uh, they want to get this snitch of the black gorilla family alone. The only way that they can do that because the snitch is the guy who runs, uh, runs the yard is able to get things for other people. Uh, Jax goes up to the snitch and says, Hey, how can we get some preferential treatment for the sons of anarchy motorcycle club? And he offers up juice as the jailbait. So they, they made the plan to get the snitch on the inside. The plan is then reverberated to the outside to Opie. They also have to kill a snitch for the black gorilla family on the outside. And that one is going to involve their friend, the San Joaquin Sheriff that we've seen already up until this point. But juice, I know that you swear allegiance to the motorcycle club, but when they come to you and you're like, listen, this guy really likes to have gay sex in prison. And uh, the only way that we're going to get him alone so that these guys can go kill him, you're going to offer up your ass as, as the bargain. (laughs) No, no matter what they're like, listen, I don't know why, but this, this snitch in prison is really into six foot three white guys with beards and uh, used to be offensive linemen. So they're, they're a little bit bigger frame. That's, that's what he's into. We need you to get him alone so that we can get, he's not going to, you're not going to have sex with you per se. It depends on how far you take it. No, 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 that's, that's, I'm just, uh, no, just, there's nothing that they can say to you to convince you to be, to play the role of jailbait. If it was for the betterment of the club. I don't even care if I'm the prospect, if I'm half stack and they tell me if you get put in prison and then we get to offer you up to this guy for protection of the motorcycle club while we're all in prison. And then you get your patches when we're out. I'd still say no. Uh, Juice is a little bit different. He decides that he's going to go along with the plan and he does lure the snitch into the infirmary. Uh, and gets the Black Gorilla family the opportunity to give him a beatdown for turning his back on the gang. Uh, unfortunate situation, too, because the guy thought Juice was coming back after he locked the door, and he continued to take his pants off. And then the Black Gorilla family enters the infirmary and, and gives him his beatdown. On the outside, the plan doesn't go as smoothly. Uh, Opie is working with the San Joaquin Sheriff's Department, which is the county sheriff for the area that the Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club is in. They're trying to bust the, uh, it turns out to be a transsexual snitch on the outside was a man is transitioned into a woman and they want to frame her for having about a pound of Coke in her car. And they're going to put the Coke there. Uh, OB actually has to get some help from Lila. So this is the first favor that Lila gives to the club. One of the porn stars of a Cara Cara and they get the Coke, they plant it in the car the sheriff goes up to the window of the snitch to bust her. And uh, as he goes up to the window, he is shot by the transsexual snitch uh, and left in critical condition. Opie has to call on the radio officer down, officer down. What's I know, you know, the code, what's the code for officer down? Uh, crap. Is it, it's, not a, it's not a one eight seven, right? I don't think so. One eight seven is a murder, death, kill. I'm pretty sure. It's a 10 uh, officer down, officer needs help immediately. Yeah. So Opie, that's where we see the snitch on the outside. So no protection is offered to the club inside prison. And that's when we see Juice. He finally comes back to the prison yard after luring the uh, um, snitch to the infirmary. And he is shivved by one of the members of the Aryan Brotherhood. So unfortunately, Opie wasn't able to come through. So at this point, the club still has no... Um, protection in the yard and they go back to their general population. They're pretty much in the middle of like a giant gymnasium and a whole bunch of bunk beds with 
members of as many different gangs as you can think of in their little area of California. Uh, that's, that's the situation that we find them in, which, like I said, if you understand prison politics, not a great place to be. You have some members of your own club, so you have your own protection, but in prison, I mean, even gang lines are blurred at that point. You pretty much only go based off race. So the fact that they weren't able to deliver for the black gorilla family, that's actually going to come back and, and bite them pretty hard. They're not even worried about that at this point. This is when we see the brawl between Jax and Clay start, which has been brewing since episode 12 of season one, when Clay ordered the hit on Opie and it ended up leading to the incidental death of Donna. But now we're seeing Jax and Clay absolutely go ape shit on each other. And it's one of the, one of the better prison brawl scenes that I've seen in any kind of TV show or movie. Uh, it's brutal. They, they don't hold anything back. Headbutts, groan shots, biting. Bobby is holding everybody back. They need this. They need to work this out. We got to get past this shit. Um, and it's separated by the corrections officers before there's a definitive winner. I would say Jax was getting the upper hand mainly because he's young and he's able to fight through everything that they've been doing to each other. Uh, but do you agree with Bobby, I guess, is my question for this part of the episode. Do you, do they need this to happen? Is this something that the club needs? Truthfully, I don't think that it had the effect that Bobby wanted it to. Um, they might have needed it. It might have gotten them – they might have gotten it to a point where it's kind of rolling, but I kind of feel like it It just wasn't as much as maybe they needed. Um I, I don't fault Bobby for letting it happen, though. I will say that. I, I feel like with everything going on, um, and he he obviously noticed that uh, everything that was going on was tearing the club apart. So maybe he thought, at the, you know, at that moment, if they're not going to talk, they got to fight. Hmm. So go ahead. But I don't think that it did as much as maybe they wanted it to for the club. I've been on teams in certain situations where an inner squad fight wasn't the worst thing in the world. At some point it gets, it kind of forces you to put everything that's been bugging you on the table. So you're not able to let things just kind of fester underneath the surface. So I think that you're right in saying it probably didn't go as far as it needed to, but I think that it couldn't have hurt. They were at least able to get a little bit of their shit worked out. It's going to take even more for them to fully heal, but I think that they, it was something that was necessary um, given the situation that they were in after the brawl. Uh, we see Jax is taken back by the ATF. Stahl is going to interrogate him and offer him a deal for uh, him, Abel, and Tara to get out of the club and join the witness protection program. Uh, Jax decides that not only is he going to turn her down because he does that emphatically, he also reminds her, uh, asks her the, the simple question, hey, have you heard anything about Agent Cohn? And kind of lets that sit there. Stahl doesn't respond. And then the follow-up line is, it's dangerous to be a Fed. And then kind of leaves it at that. So even though we see Jax absolutely having a knockdown drag out with his stepfather, the guy that he knows is responsible for Donna's death and who I believe he thinks is par partially responsible for his dad's death, he's still not willing to sell out the club, no matter how much he hates that guy. He's, he wants to take care of it himself. So he still doesn't give anything to stall. And uh, now we, we see the, the next scene after that. Uh, Gemma goes to Elliot Oswald, who we know has a little bit of uh, a debt towards the club to try and get the, them out of jail and post the bail that they need to get all those members out. Um, 
isn't able to do so until Gemma goes and talks to Elliot's daughter, Tristan, who we know was sexually assaulted and raped by one of the traveling carnival people in season one. That's actually where Elliot accrues his debt to the club when they cut off the, the balls of the person who raped his daughter, Tristan. Um, and after that, Elliot posts bail and we see finally the club is able to return to society and, and they're no longer in the dangerous environment that is prison. But even so, the intensity and kind of the animosity is, is nowhere near as, as low as you probably would think it would be at that point. They just got out of prison. Everybody survived. I know Juice is still in the infirmary after getting shivved in the yard, but he's going to survive. Um, but it's still, it doesn't necessarily feel like a win. It feels like we're kind of still in the same situation and we're going to have to continue on with the story. Yeah. It's like uh, as many steps as you can try to take forward, you're taking just as many, if not more back and um, they'll figure it out eventually. I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know if um, like I said, the fight in the prison probably wasn't the best plan, but it happened it is what it is and seemed like maybe it calmed them down a little bit, at least enough to talk. And uh, now that everybody's out, now you got to move on to the next thing. You got to try to figure out what's next. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's going to move us on to episode eight. Now this episode is titled potlatch potlatch, which I looked up the definition um, and it's, and actually it's a North American Indian term on the Northwest coast and it's a ceremonial feast, which possessions are given away or destroyed to display wealth or enhance prestige. So uh, boiling it down from that definition, it would be where like you go and in modern times, we'd go to like a rich person's house. They're going to host a dinner for everybody, but they really just brought all those people there so that they can destroy some valuable possession. Nobody else there is going to be able to buy and raise their prestige even more. So that's what the, actual title of this episode means um and, and we talked about it in the last episode of the podcast the titles actually do mean a lot more than just the word that represents i think that sutter does a good job of titling his episodes towards what's going to happen and this is also where we kind of start to see this this is where we come to a boiling point between the tension that's been building between Jax and clay at the end of this episode this is where Jax is going to look at the club and decide that being in charming, being a part of Sam Crow is not best for him. And he needs to get away from clay before he does something that's going to destroy the club further. So no matter what has happened in his personal life, no matter who the club has cost him, he's still loyal to them first and wants to be able to get out before he does something drastic. So uh, the title of the episode is poignant for what we're going to experience in the next hour. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, good, good on Jax for trying to warn everybody before he left, too. Um, at this point, it seems like it's time. You know, it, it, everything that's happened, it seems like it's just going to tear the club apart, at least the chapter apart, if anything. Um, so, you know, for him to be able to realize that and decide it's time for me to go nomad, I can't stay in Charming, I got to just be able to roam. Um, I got to get away from Clay for a little while. That's that's good on him. I I also would tell you that that's um, that is definitely president thinking right there, kind of trying to diffuse the situation as much as possible. But you could also argue he's leaving, so maybe it's not president uh, action. But I I think that it's a good move. 
there's uh, more debate about whether or not that's the right decision in the next, in the following episode, once they have the vote. But uh, for now, episode eight begins and uh, Clay is meeting with Elliot Oswald, who is uh, Clay is returning the knife with Oswald's fingerprints that they use to, to cut the balls off of his little girl's rapist. And Oswald is telling Clay that he's going to be running for mayor against Jacob Hale, who is the brother of the uh, deputy sheriff of the town, Hale. And Oswald wants to run against him because he knows Jacob Hale is, is looking for infrastructure to be brought to Charming. He wants to bring big business there and kind of turn them into a bigger city. And Elliot Oswald knows that when that happens, it's not going to be good for him. So he decides that he wants to run for mayor and he, he's looking for Sam Crow's backing. Um, we don't necessarily see if Jack or if Clay gives him the backing outright, but you have to kind of think that Sam Crow is going to be behind Elliot getting mayor, especially over a guy like Jacob Hale. They obviously have some sort of rivalry going back with that family quite a ways between the club and, and both brothers being in a position to possibly take down the club. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, that's, that's the cool thing about this show is, you know, you kind of see what happens more or less for lack of a better term in, in the underworld. Um, not, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but kind of out of sight of everything else that you kind of witness as just being a regular citizen. Um, there's so many backhanded deals, especially with these people who are trying to get into the political structure of um, the city or the town. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why I'm as intrigued in this show as I am. And, uh, you know, I've always been into that cop show type thing too. And this, this is like the other side of the cops uh, show, right? It's, it's the outlaws, but they try to do, they try to do what they think is right. Um, and obviously it's not always hundred percent legal, but it's interesting nonetheless there's a, a nobody necessarily even the people you think are innocent which at this point um moving forward in the episode we see chib's estranged wife fiona show up as hosp hospital bed but anybody that is introduced that you could possibly think is innocent is shown to be some form of shadiness tara is working off the books to make sure that the people associated with the club get the best medical care possible and Fiona, as we learn later on in the episode, well, she is just Chib's estranged wife and she cares about him, loves him. She brings a lot of baggage wherever she goes to because she is uh, married to the leader of the true IRA in Ireland, Jimmy Iveen. And Jimmy Iveen has already proven to be pretty much a mark of death when it comes to Chib's life. Um, so Fiona shows up. And it's kind of a shock to everybody. Her and Chibs have a nice little reunion. And then the following scene that we see Henry Lin and the Chinese mob are looking for a new gun supplier. We've seen that Sam Crow is no longer going to be supplying guns to the IRA until their business can get worked out since the League of American Nationalists tried to take them over. And, and now Lone is also working with the Mayans, but the Chinese need guns and they come to Sam Crow. And we see the next, the next scene, we finally get Chucky back which is good good for everybody in the series chucky's one of the, <laughs> i know chucky's weird but at least chucky there, there's no criminal element when it comes to chucky but that's uh henry lynn's bargaining chip is they're going to give back chucky who sam crow already gave they retrieved him from prison gave him back to the chinese mob and now Ch henry lynn is going to give chucky back 
in return for setting up a new gun pipeline for his organization. So a little bit, it's a tongue in cheek reference. And now we see Chucky, the Chinese were so pissed off with his uh, CMD chronic masturbatory disorder that they cut off all of his fingers so that he only has a pointer on each side. So Chucky comes back with eight less fingers and now Sam Crow is going to be dealing guns to the Chinese. So a couple big, couple big moves taken on, on a few different sides in, in this next little sequence. Yeah. You know, I hate Chucky. He's just an annoying part of the show. Obviously he's supposed to be, but still, yeah. I mean, it's uh, interesting to me that they're trying to use Chucky as the bargaining chip when they, when Sam Crow already gave him away. Um, and they, they don't like him. Uh, they don't like him a ton. I should say, I shouldn't say that they don't like him at all, but they don't like well, him a ton. You remember Chucky was embezzling money from Henry Lynn and the Chinese mob. That's how he was thrown in jail in the first place. That's how he became friends with big Otto in prison. But that's, that's the last thing you see from Chucky is that, uh, or that's the last thing you forget about Chucky is that he was embezzling money for the Chinese. And then he was given back to the Chinese as a prisoner and yeah, now you're right. He's being kind of pinballed between different criminal organizations. Um, but he's going to be the porn accountant now. Bobby's not going to have to run the books day to day. And Chucky is going to be in charge of the actual bookkeeping for Cara Cara. So that's good for the club. And they also have a new um, customer for their guns. All the guns that the IRA or whoever is going to be supplying for the club is going to have a buyer. Uh, they go meet with Edmund Hayes, who is Jimmy Hayes' son. We saw Jimmy back last season when he was shot in the ass and Tara had to save him from the infection. Edmund has sold all of the true IRA's guns and charming to the League of American Nationalists, who we know are going to turn around and supply them to the Mayans for their for protection of their heroin trade. And uh, we, we kind of see the this is where the actual break in the relationship between Sam Crow and the true IRA comes in this is where we're going to start seeing jimmy Iveen come stateside and try and smooth things over uh, but this is the actual breaking of the camel's back so to say and it leads directly into the action in the next scene but this is uh, sam crow's not only getting fucked internally they're also now getting fucked by the other criminal organizations that they thought they were working with and had deals with yeah and you know it I guess the way that I look at it is if you are a part of the uh, criminal organizations and you screw people over, it's only eventual that other people are going to screw you over. So it's not like it's not par for the course and it's not like it wasn't necessarily expected. Um, it's still a shitty situation anyways, because, you know, um, their plans are going to get all messed up anyway. And, you know, they're going to have to try to figure out how to fix that. But still, it's not like it's, it's not like it was unexpected. Uh, the following scene, Sam Crow chased down Weston and his crew of League of American Nationalists with the Irish guns. They try to steal them back, but they fail. Weston and, and the League of American Nationalists are able to fight them off. Uh, and then we go straight from that scene where we see Sam Crow unable to get their guns back. And then Jax gets a call. Georgie Caruso, who we've mentioned before, is the other porn producer. Uh, he's robbed Luann's studio, stealing um, a camera and rough cuts and murdering Caracara's guard dog, which uh, this is where we know 
Georgie Caruso has just been a creep and he's just a, a porn producer at this point. But when Sam Crow gets to character and you see the fact that this guy's thugs not only broke into a, a rival porn studio, but killed the German shepherd who was on, on duty to protect the place. And that's, that's irredeemable. We know the kind of depths that Georgie Caruso is willing to go to after we, we see Jackson, everybody else come up to Luann's studio and, and exactly what happened when Georgie Caruso's guys were there. Yeah. And I, obviously I didn't like Georgie before this, but now, you know, he, he killed the dog. So that's, that's a no, that's a no for me. That's a no. So you hate Michael Myers then too. Cause you know, Michael Myers has killed like six dogs in his run as the big bad of the Halloween franchise. I mean, even before he killed six dogs, you know, walking around, killing people, not talking creepy dude. Don't, didn't like him in the first place. So yeah, we're going to go off track a little bit here, but I gotta, I gotta share this with you because I didn't bring it up when we were going over what's been happening. But uh, so mom and dad were out, uh, out, in Gunnison this past weekend Ed had he's been watching horror movies and he watched the purge he started with and then all of a sudden last night at like 9 30 he comes down where Bree and I were watching our own show downstairs he turns all the lights on sits on the couch and you know how he crosses his legs and he's sitting there he's like you ever gonna watch this movie called Malignant and I said uh no probably not he's like good you shouldn't shouldn't it's a stupid movie it's uh not a good movie I said okay so it wasn't scary he's like no no it was it was scary um, just a stupid movie. I didn't like it. Oh, I, I understand. Okay, it's okay, Ed. I'll make sure all the doors are locked, and we'll go. We'll go to bed. There's no monsters here. Trust me. Um, but no, that was. Uh, speaking of horror movies, and since Halloween and October are right around the corner, I just thought that you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah, and he's been trying to get me to watch Lights Out and all those other horror movies, and I know my limit. Like I'm better than I used to be. I could watch the Friday the 13th and the Halloween and, and the Insidious, which I was surprised I got through Insidious without being freaked out. Um, and The Conjuring, that's kind of like where my line is because I don't really like the spirits. Like the fear of God factor is where I, where I draw it. Hmm. Um, but, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, no, we got to watch this. We got to watch this. We got to watch this. And I'm like, look, not right now. First off, it's 8 o'clock at night. It's dark outside. Second, I've just watched like three horror movies with you today and and I'm good right now. But if I watch one more, I'm going to go over, I'm going to go over my limit. So I'm, I'm sorry, but not right now. (laughs) It's good to know your limits. He didn't know his limits last night and I got a good kick out of that. Uh, Back to the, back to the episode. So we mentioned how much of a piece of shit Georgie Caruso is his retaliation. uh, We actually see the club go to his own studios and uh, I got to look up, um, the name of the actor who plays Georgie Caruso, but we go, we see the club break into Georgie's studios and uh, they, it kind of use, this is where Chucky comes in handy. He gets them kind of in the door. They're able to go back in and steal the, um, uh, they're, they're able to steal all the stuff that Georgie had stolen from Luann. Uh, and this Georgie Caruso is played by Tom Arnold, who's been a lot in a lot of stuff. I recognized him when I first saw this episode, but they go in, steal back Kara Kara's equipment. <laughs> Excuse me. That Georgie had gone in and stolen in the first place. And uh, the retaliation from there is that they're going to just kill Luann and dump her on the side of a highway. Uh, apparently the porn industry is more cutthroat than 
a motorcycle club, a league of radical white supremacists, uh, Mexican motorcycle gang. Georgie Caruso is the biggest fucking scumbag out of everybody. Yeah, he is. And uh, I guess I didn't realize that it would be that cutthroat either. But then again, that's not the, it's not like that's the first time that Sam Crow's done something to his operation. Um, the way that I look at it, though, is they could have just all worked together and none, none of that would have happened, you know? If I, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to find solutions for people who don't really want solutions, but it seems like that was an easy, easy fix. It definitely could have been solved before they had to kill Luann. And now Otto, who I've mentioned, Kurt, Big Otto, played by the series and show creator Kurt Sutter, never gets a break. He's the only director that I, I can remember who writes all of this stuff, has put together the show like this, and he never gives his character that he plays a break. He's he already had one eye that was kind of messed up when we first met him in season one. The other eye's now been gouged out thanks to the club, and now he lost his wife. Not to mention before he was before she was killed his wife was sleeping with one of his buddies in the motorcycle club so that she didn't have to pay back taxes because she's been embezzling money big auto i love big auto because he's totally down for for the club over everything but he deserves something better than a dead wife and no no vision up until this point he hasn't done anything i mean he was in there originally for like three years on a hijacking charge and now he's got no good eyes he busted a federal agent's nose, so he's in prison for a lot longer now, and no wife, who we know he loves dearly. We know he loves he loved Luann more than anything. So Big Auto, I would if I was Big Auto, I'd get out of the club before I die. I yeah, I, I don't think that that's the direction that he's going. Um, but like you said, I, props to him for being down for the club after all that. I, I mean, he's a, he's a dangerous man now because he's really got nothing left to lose. So that could be a way that he ends up getting out of the club because, like we said, he might – I mean, he's in prison, but he might go cowboy. And if you go cowboy and you're dangerous to yourself, you're dangerous to the club. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, poor, poor Otto. It doesn't get a lot better from here. I've seen the series before, and I can tell you that it doesn't get a lot better from here, but I'm not going to spoil anything else. Uh, the final scene, we see Gemma. She's tried to. She's been planning a dinner the entire episode, trying to get Tara and Lila to, together because Tara has not been very nice to Lila. We already know that uh, Tara doesn't really appreciate the club being involved with the porn industry and the porn stars, uh, thanks to I'm a Tight, but... Gemma wants Lila and Tara to bury the hatchet. She wants Clay and Jax to bury the hatchet. Everybody shows up for the dinner, and Clay and Jax get in a fight. Clay blames Jax for Luann's death, uh, which is perfect irony. It's perfect irony because we all know who is truly, like, directly responsible for the death of the wife of another member of the club. That's, that's Clay. But Clay blames Jax for Luann's death. Jax says he isn't the one murdering women. Uh, Gemma decides to break up the fight just by smashing the large platter that she had on the table. The dinner's ruined. Everybody has to go home now. Nobody's going to get fed. Uh, but it's a explosive ending to the show. And the I think it's a metaphor, actually, for kind of how the club is at this point. 
Gemma breaking the platter. That thing is not going to break unless you do something deliberately to break it. And I think Clay and Jax uh, both are doing something deliberately to break break that platter. Yeah, I, I like I like how we finally see uh, Gemma kind of. You know, it's not like it's not that she lost it, but she's she's fed up because the two guys that are still in her life are not on speaking terms and they're pissing everybody else off and they're it's it's to the point where it's just too much she they got to figure their, themselves out and until they do everything's just broken so uh yeah and it's not in a good situation and we don't see it getting any better at this point um the next episode episode nine in season two it's called Fagwan. It's a Chinese term used for the direct translation is judge. Uh, but this episode starts off Ernest Darby's brothel is busted, but two of his girls also work for Kara Kara. So once again, I'm a tight uh, getting the club involved in some shit that they aren't actually directly involved in because she's one of the girls who work for their porn company that was hired by Darby to be used as a, a hooker in their brothel that they have in the motel. Um, and that forces or that pushes Clay. He already didn't like the fact that they were trying to supplement their gun income with porn. This this situation, Clay decides that they're going to shut down the porn industry um, and they're going to go back to just smuggling guns. It, porn is bringing too much bad publicity to the club. So we're just going to go back to selling guns to true terrorist groups that are fighting against actual organized countries. That's OK. We At least we know where Clay draws the line now. Whatever. There's no line. It's drawn an expo marker. Yeah, it's probably there's probably not that much of a hard stance. He's really only interested in shutting down porn because it's Jax's idea. And that's what Jax believes, too. He, Jax thinks that Clay is trying to undermine his attempts to make the club legit. Um, it's already cost the club an old lady is Clay's argument. And then Jax once again brings up Donna. Clay reminds him of the promise that he made to Jax if he mentions Donna's name again and Jax. Uh, offers him the chance by giving him his gun, turning his back and putting his hands behind his head. Obviously not good for the morale of everybody. They've already had one member's wife killed. They're losing left and right. They can't get a handle on their own town. The League of American Nationalists are pretty much running things now in Charming. And uh, these two are still having their good old pecker measuring contest. And it's not good for anybody. They both need to figure their own shit out. Both, I would say that in this situation, nobody's in the right. Clay is in the wrong because he's a he's a wife killing sociopath that lies while he breathes. And Jax is in the wrong because all he's doing, he's taking his friends and putting them at risk for his own personal vendetta. Yeah, I mean, like we always say, it's black, it's not black and white, it's shades of gray. Some people, I mean, he, Jax isn't wrong in being pissed at Clay for calling the hit on Opie in the first place, but then getting Donna killed. He's not wrong for that fact. He's wrong for the way that he's going about it and being all passive aggressive about it and just making things worse for the club. Clay is not wrong for being, I get, because the way that it works in the motorcycle club world is if you're the president, you're the president. Everything's put to a vote, but the president's word is how it goes. So he's pissed because his VP, who's supposed to be his right, not his right-hand man, but I guess his left-hand man or his, or his second-in-command is second-guessing everything that he does. So he's pissed about that. And 
as according to the rules of the world that they're in, he should be. But he's not in the right for being, I guess I'll put it this way. He's acting like a 17-year-old girl who is not getting his way. Um, and that's not the way that he should be acting either. So neither of them are 100% right, but neither of them are 100% wrong yet. And going back to that point in the rules of the club, Clay needs a majority vote, a majority vote from everybody to shut down Kara Kara because that was a club vote to put themselves into porn. So he needs a club vote to get themselves out of porn as well. Um, so he's he's fucked on all sides. Can't get what he wants. He's gonna they're gonna continue to be in porn because there's no way they're gonna get a majority vote um, unless they fix the vote to get out of Kara Kara. And he he also knows that if he shoots. That's the other thing. This is where Clay is. He's obviously between a rock and a hard place because the club is going to, they don't, at this point, Clay doesn't want the club to know his secret. And Clay cannot do anything about it because if he shoots his VP in the back for disobeying him, that is going to cause unrest because then everybody knows that they're on lock to get murdered if they don't agree with the president. And then it's not a president anymore. That's what we, what we call a dictator. So he's, he's in, a majority of shit, whichever way he turns. So Clay is struggling still, um, but also Unser and, and Gemma are struggling with what happened to Gemma earlier on in the season. Nobody's still, Gemma's still kept the secret between him, Unser, her Unser and Tara as to what actually happened the night that she was abducted by the League of American Nationalists and gang raped by Weston and his crew. Um, they attend church together and, and Unser gives his kind of last chance effort to get her to come clean and she politely turns him down, but says that she'll work on it. Um, Zobel then we see Zobel give Hale, the uh, deputy chief Hale, uh, the location of Darby's other brothel and the meth lab. So that it's basically giving him information so that the police department will be on his side and they're going to go bust them himself. But instead we see uh, David Hale, deputy chief, David Hale, give the information to Sam Crow and Sam Crow deals with the brothel and the meth lab, which basically is uh, direct. It's a thumb in the nose of the League of American Nationalists, Zobel personally, because it was Zobel who gave David Hale the information. But we kind of see here, this is the line that was drawn in the sand. Maybe this is the first thing that's going to go right for Sam Crow this season because they have the police now back on their side. That's what's kept them in power and charming because Unser would let the club do kind of whatever they wanted. And now they have the police back on their side against these uh, basically white terrorists that are trying to infiltrate their town. Yeah. And I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So the enemy of the police department is alone, but the enemy of loan is Sam Crow. So because it's the enemy of my enemy, then we'll work together and take out my enemy. Mm-hmm. And then we'll fight our amongst ourselves to, see who comes out on top after that. But um, for now, it's it's uh, a weird situation. I think it would be interesting to think that, you know, from where we saw Hale in season one and how hard he worked to try and put the club down, it would be interesting to come into the show at this point and see him giving him that kind of uh, assistance. But I think it comes down to Jax is pretty open with Hale and Hale's pretty open with Jax. Like as soon as we get this situation taken care of, I'm putting your asses in prison 
And Jax is like, as soon as we get this situation taken care of, uh, we're going to go back to doing whatever we want because we're still not going to, it's not like they're going to be allies after this. They're both just trying to take out the biggest evil to their organization. And then they're going to go back to fighting each other. So the fact that Jackson Hale are open in, in that, and I think Zobel is trying to be a little bit more shady and backhanded in, oh, well, you take out the club and then you work with us, but you're not, we're not going to benefit you in any way because when loan takes over charming, they're going to be dealing drugs. They're going to be allowing brothels. They're going to be doing all of this shit still. At least Jackson, Sam Crow is open about it. I think that's where it also comes down to the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And we really don't know. Hale at least doesn't know what Charming is going to look like under Zobel's rule. I don't think any of us want to find out either. No, I don't think any of us do either. Um, moving forward in the episode, we then see uh, Zobel in retaliation for the fact that he, his information was misused against his own organization. Zobel sends Darby, uh, who we saw, he went to League of American Nationalists and was pretty pissed off, mad that his uh, meth lab was cooked, mad that his brothel was busted, and he wants to get back at Sam Crow. So then Zobel sends Darby with Weston and a crew of his guys to burn down the warehouse where they uh, film Kara Kara. And this, this will effectively... At, this, at least at this point, take Sam Crow out of porn, which is what Clay wanted. And uh, Weston, before setting the blaze, knocks Darby out and leaves him for dead along with the burning warehouse. Uh, this episode ends with Jax getting a call from Hale about the fire. And then uh, it, the camera zooms out as Clay, or not Clay, Jax is working with the firefighters and seeing kind of the damage of the warehouse. Uh, and he immediately suspects Clay. Um, so the the last dialogue of the episode, he's on the phone, I believe, with Bobby. I can't remember specifically, but he's now announced that he's going to be going nomad, leaving Sam Crow. Doesn't want anything else to do with Clay. This is that this is that decision we were talking about a little bit ago in this podcast, where you know I'm I want to fix my club. I don't want to leave my charter or anything like that, but I can't work under this guy if he's going to go because at this point the way it looks like clay went around a club vote just burned down the warehouse so that he didn't have to get it shoved back in his face that he has no control so it's we're still nine episodes into season two and sam crow is no closer to getting league of american nationalists out or getting closer to figuring out themselves as a club so it's it's pretty dismal i guess to say at this point of the season yeah, I would agree, and and I think it's that's probably one of my favorite endings to an episode is just Jack's on the phone with whoever he's on the phone with. I gotta, I like get the club together. I gotta go nomad. I gotta get out of here. It's it's over. I'm I'm done. I think that's probably one of my favorite episodes on the or endings to an episode because it's boiled over to the point where Jax is just like, screw it, I'm out, and. I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the more powerful endings to an episode that we've seen so far, and it leaves us in a place where, as a viewer, we're really not sure. I mean, we know that – I can't imagine how it would be to be to have watched this as it was coming out and as the episodes were, were being aired initially when you don't know exactly what's going to happen or you can't figure out what's going to happen. But 
at this point, it really seems like, you know, maybe this is going to be the end of it. Maybe Sutter's total goal with the show is to break the club from the inside out and really do, because honestly it's Hamlet with motorcycles is the best way that I can really describe. Um, it's the best way that I can really describe what's going on in the show is Hamlet with motorcycles and in Hamlet, everybody dies at the end, except for one person, because you need one person to be able to close out a play in Shakespearean England. So one person that has to be alive long enough to be like, okay, and that's the end of our show. Uh, if Sutter wanted to go full Hamlet, he could have, because we could have seen Clay get killed by Jax, and then the rest of the club has to avenge Clay's murder. We know that Tig would be avenging Clay. Like, there's a whole thinking about it from the viewer during this time, there's a whole bunch of different storylines that can come off of what we've seen so far. It could end quickly. It could go on for longer like it does, but we really don't know what's going on at this point. All right. And now uh, since we've gotten through our sons of anarchy, uh, we're, we won't do a pick them each episode. We'll do a pick them every other episode that we release here, but let's get into current events because we didn't do current events at the end of the last episode. So do you have a good current event that you got in front of you, or do you need a, a second to find one and I can go first? What, what do you want? Uh, why don't you go ahead and go first? I had one um, picked out, but I lost it. So I got to try to find it again. All right. Uh, I am going to go with um, the, just the kind of wanted to bring up the fact that this, we're recording this episode on nine twelve. Uh, we just passed the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks on the U.S. and the World Trade Center. Obviously, something that affected both of our lives greatly, affected the lives of everybody in the world pretty greatly. Um, I was I was a, almost four when it happened. You were four months old when it happened. We, we really don't have a memory of a time before everything kind of changed the way that it did or a memory of the actual event itself, but there's something, even though I'm a part of the generation, one of the, one of the generations that actually have no pure recollection of the events that happened. Um, it's still a day that carries a whole bunch of weight. It's still a day that, you know, chokes me up a little bit every time that I try and think about it on, on nine 11 and then the subsequent backlash and everything else that happened. But I can't imagine especially if you have somebody that was affected or in the buildings when, when the two planes hit, I can't imagine the fear and the just not knowing what the next step should be in that situation. I can't imagine the feeling that those people and the people close to them had to go through. So since it is, we're recording this on nine 12 um, it's nine 11 still, a day that will live in infamy. It's a day that nobody's ever going to forget. It's a day that um, we're still seeing the effects stem from. And uh, it's a day that we're still going to honor everybody who put their lives, put their lives on the back burner to try and save the lives of other people. And um, unfortunately paid the ultimate price themselves. So uh, just kind of a, more of a take remembrance of everything that's happened and everything that we take for granted and are allowed because of the things that have happened in the past and the sacrifices that we've seen take place in the past. So not necessarily a true current event, but just kind of a, a good reminder, I think, um, with the football being played on 9-12 and then 
obviously 9-11 being on the Saturday that the day before we recorded this, um, just a kind of a shout out to people who went in and were never able to come home and everybody who's worked to try and make that situation better since it's happened. Um, but yeah, that's my current event. What do you got? Well, mine's not much happier. Um, so it came out yesterday or no, not yesterday, two days ago on Friday. Um, apparently there was a thwarted, uh, school shooting plot in Florida. Um, it says an eighth grade student, um, and, uh, Lehigh County or Lehigh acres is the place in Florida. Um, was there the school shooting plot was thwarted after a teacher shared a tip um, that two students um, had this idea and that one student had a gun in his book bag. Um, and I guess the, the reason why this hit me was because school shootings have become a massive problem in our country and everywhere around the world, really, but in our country specifically. And I guess the other thing that hit me was it's Florida. Florida has one of the most lax gun laws in the entire United States. And this has already been a huge topic in general, gun, gun uh, laws and gun licenses and how long you should have to wait and what you, you, what you should have to go through and all this different stuff in order to get a gun. Um, so I think basically what this, what this shows us is um, – especially in places like Florida and, and other states where there's kind of a, a loose gun law and it's up to interpretation a little bit. Um, that's just fueling the fire. Um, and this is not okay. This is not acceptable at all. Um, and like I said, it's not a happy current event, but um, looks like this was, these were 13 and 14 year olds who had access to guns. So, I don't know if that's a parent parental issue. I don't know if that's a law issue. Um, the fact that these 13 and 14 year olds were able to um, get a firearm and have access to a firearm so easily and just bring it to school. Um, maybe that's a parental issue. I don't know. Um, but it's, uh, it's appalling to me. It's scary to me, especially since I'm going to be a teacher one day and I don't want to think about this ever happening in schools in general, let alone my own school. It's, uh, I don't think that there's really a, a good way to talk about it. Um, it's interesting to get your perspective on it because we mentioned we're fairly similar. I mean, we're pretty similar in pretty, almost everything, even with the way that we think, but that is that little difference in the way that we think to where you're kind of more of an analytical cause effect. Uh, Florida has kind of lax gun laws. So this is something that's pretty, pretty likely to happen there. I think of it as Florida is a place where we see a lot of broken families, bad situations, not, not saying anything bad about the state of Florida, but I know of a lot of people in Florida who struggle or, people in Florida who live kind of quote unquote alternative lifestyles. And they, it's, I, I am a firm believer that it's not necessarily a gun issue. It's a mental health issue and a bad person with a gun issue. Um, so the only thing that I have to say off your current event, I'm glad that it didn't happen. Um, I'm glad they were able to get that information and they were able to stop it. 
I am going to stand behind the fact that we need a lot better mental health care and a lot more people in positions to be able to help these kinds of people before something like this gets, we shouldn't be having to take a gun out of a kid's a middle school kid's locker. We should be recognizing the signs before that kid gets to middle school and he's taking a gun to into his locker. We should be able to recognize the signs that this kid needs our help and he needs to talk to people. He needs to talk to professionals. Maybe he needs to be medicated, but he needs to have at least a conversation because obviously he's not being heard when he's just talking because he thought the only way that he's going to be able to be heard is bringing a gun to school. So there's a lot of things that need to be addressed. I don't know if it's gun laws or if it's just getting the right people in place, but it's a scary situation. Obviously you, you have the fear of thinking about it being you in that situation. Um, I'm sure that all of us knowing that you want to be a teacher and having teachers in our family, it's something they think about. And it's something we thought about for you that we don't want you to have to go through it. But um, yeah, I think that there's, there's steps that need to be taken that haven't been taken. So it's a scary situation. Thankfully, nothing. Thankfully it's a, a gun, a school shooting attempt that was thwarted and not a school shooting attempt where we have to mention the victims of, of these disturbed people and, and people who were outside of their mind in those moments. And uh, we're doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. Wow. That's uh the second half of the podcast got kind of dark, Dom. You sure you're okay after that Jets loss? Is that still holding you back a little bit? That's that's what's causing the big puss on your face, the big moosh. Uh, I did take off the Jets jersey. So <laughs> yeah, I, you, you turned I, your camera off and now it's off. So I got you. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, mm. You'll be fine. Trust me. Right, let's let's say this right. We're gonna put this out here now. We're gonna record another podcast in two weeks. Hopefully we have a full victory week, which would mean the actually, I don't even know if that'll be possible because you might be playing yeah, the Broncos, but, right. but no, just we'll say that the jets have one win by the time we record episode 13 of this podcast. How about that? And then we can I, get your, get you back in good spirits. I am still a firm believer that they have the chance to go seven and 10 this year. So I'm hoping that at least by then they have one. So if they have one, they're still on par for the course, in my opinion. We'll, we'll see what happens. In the meantime, where can people follow the podcast and uh, what should they do when they find us on their favorite podcasting platforms? So uh, you can follow the podcasts on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Dago Express. And uh, if you're interested in hearing Jimmy and Nico Bryant on their other podcast at the far end of the bench, you can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at F-E-O-T-B pod. Um, and when you follow us, if you want to send us a message, if you want to go through and, and like and retweet some of our stuff, if you want to tell your friends about it, by all means, do that. Um, we hope that you're enjoying the show. This is, what, episode 12, maybe? Something yeah, like that? Episode semester. Um, so we've been, we're still new on this podcast. Jimmy's been doing this for a while. This is my first one. So we hope that you're enjoying it. Um, and then on most podcast streaming platforms, our biggest one is Spotify. You can uh, follow us, set reminders for when our podcast episodes come out. Um, like, share, leave a review. And if it's a five-star review, uh, we'll read it on the podcast. And uh, that way we have a little bit more content to put out for you guys. Yeah, we kind of need some more interaction from you guys. So the Express Mafia come out in force. Like we said, swiftlifestyles.com. Use a promo code Express Mafia at checkout. That's capital E, capital M. 
that can get you 15% off of your order from swiftlifestyles.com, the best nootropics and concentration company out there. And then also Nick mentioned my other podcast, Far End of the Bench, new episodes of that show come out Wednesdays. Uh, that's on all podcasting platforms. And then my uh, new RMAC show, since I am the columnist for the RMAC on d2football.com, you can check out the new columns that I write each week, breaking down uh, every team in the conference each Friday is when I post those and then new podcasts, the top of the mountain podcast for RMAC football, where I look back at the game of the week from the previous week and look towards the game of the week for the upcoming week. Uh, it's the top of the mountain podcast that comes out every Friday during the RMAC football season until all of our teams are done playing. So if CSU Pueblo, Colorado School of Mines go on a playoff run, we'll continue to have that show. And uh, we'll be back with that show next week as well. But that'll be coming out Fridays. So for myself, I know I got a ton of stuff. Nick, uh, Nick's more worried about school, which is fine. You can go get a degree or whatever. Uh, this show every other Tuesday at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on all podcasting platforms. We're continuing to grow. Uh, as the Dago Express, you can listen to Far End of the Bench Wednesdays, each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on all podcasting platforms. We have our YouTube channel for that as well. Be sure to subscribe there. And then Top of the Mountain Podcast every Friday. So I, I think that's everything. Uh, but yeah, this has been the Dago Express, episode 12 for myself and my brother, Nick Pilato. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys on down the road. Yeah. Thick boy anthem. Through the city like Brennan Shaw. Oh. I'm on a mission to get it all. Oh. If you ain't thick, please don't get involved. Oh. Don't want them skinny like models. I don't need a girl that look like she a cinephile. Oh. Cause I need everything.